Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome back to Voices Behind the Game. I'm Jeremy Roberts. Along with my dad, we're glad to have you back listening to our podcast. It's been a little bit of a break, but we're starting off with a bang with a guy that every jazz fan knows, pretty much anybody from Adelaide, Australia, Melbourne, Australia, pretty much any of Australia, especially sports fans, know Joe Ingles. And what an awesome guy Joe is. He's real. He's down to earth. Uh, he's just awesome to watch on the court. And in this episode, you're going to get some great stories about talking trash with uh, Paul George, about having fun, um, about his passions in life, about his family and how lucky he is to be in the NBA, how fortunate he feels. And it's rare to get a chance to hear from a professional athlete that is so grounded and really just knows how lucky they are to be in the position they are. It's, and he also knows that he's a hell of an NBA player and it it was a a real joy to get a chance to speak with Joe. We got uh, Reddit questions uh, before we did an AMA on Reddit and pretty much every question that came across was answered in this episode. So if you submitted a question, thanks so much. We really appreciate it. Tune in for the entire episode. Pretty much every question that was asked, uh, we, we got a chance throughout the episode to ask either directly or through conversation. Thanks again for listening. Hope you enjoy the episode. Please subscribe and look for more episodes coming up soon. I bet that you love Joe Ingles. Well, that's good, because this episode of Voices Behind the Game is brought to you by betonline.ag. That's A is in Apple, G is in gold, which you're going to get a lot of if you go to betonline.ag. The NFL season's in full swing. You've got bets on where Russell Westbrook's going to go, who's going to win the next golf tournament. Pretty much any prop bet that you want, you can laid down at betonline.ag there are tons of game spreads totals teams players coaching props bet online gives you more options to wager than any other place online so i bet that you're itching to go to betonline.ag and lay down some serious bets so head to betonline.ag today take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses again that's betonline.ag a G A is in Apple G as in gold. Do it today. Have some fun. And thanks for listening. Well, we are totally and completely honored to be in the presence of uh, one of our favorite NBA players. And I might add a player who is idolized by my granddaughter, Emma <laughs> and Sophie, as they serve him coffee every morning he stops by with his lovely wife. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, this is Joe Ingles, one of my all-time favorite players in the league. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for having me. And um, yeah, I mean, I I definitely uh, see your granddaughters a, a lot. I, uh, <laughs> I, probably probably too often um, for what the dietitians and stuff would say, but um, no, they're they're very good to me. Well, you got to start the day off somewhere, man. That's a, that's a good, well, that's the best way to do it, I'd say. You know, Joe. It, this it, is it, true. This is, you know, my dad's been the PA announcer for 42 years and I've been ribbing him because it took 
my daughter Emma to you know connect us to have this great conversation. <laughs> it was funny the first time she the first time she said it. Um, obviously, I was just driving through like I do um, once or twice a day, and um, <laughs> so I, I usually go in the morning. I, I split it up in shifts because I know that they the shifts for them finish at like twelve o'clock. So right. I make sure I go before twelve o'clock sometime, and then I go after twelve, so it's not the same people. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah. Uh, she pulled me up one day and was like, Hey, would you mind going on? And I was like, obviously I, I said yes. And then we, she, I think, I think originally she might've been a little bit shocked or something that I actually said yes. Cause she didn't ask like, Oh, how can we get in contact or, or anything like that? And it was just, um, it, it just kind of went to like, yeah, cool. And I took my coffee and drove off. And I think the next time I came, she was like, were you serious about doing that? And I was like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then, um, obviously we got in contact, so I'm uh, very happy to be here. Yeah, yeah that's cool. Thanks, so Joe. cool, to, and it's great to hear your voice, too, I guarantee you. It's been a long time, man. I know, too long. Yeah. It yeah. has been too long. It has been too long. And it's, uh, uh, it is fun. I mean, it, as a, you know, with my, being with my dad for 42 years and, and seeing ja- the jazz forever, I mean, it's just, uh, you know, you're, you're an iconic jazz player in the sense that you embody who the jazz are, you know, I mean, you've, you know you're endeared to the jazz fan you have that work ethic and so it's really fun for us to have you on the show and and uh just you know chat and uh <laughs> when my dad and i for were sure. talking you know, bullshit i mean it's just <laughs> <laughs> that's what i usually do on and off court that's yeah, right <laughs> well it's good fit and, and we in 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 fairness we did have some fan questions that we'll get to later and uh, they want to know all about your bullshitting on the court but we'll talk about that <laughs> <laughs> In a little in a little bit, so uh, we thought we'd start off. I mean, just with the huge news, um, you know that that left all of our our jaws gaping. You know, fans, uh, yeah. people, just uh, you know the the jazz being sold, and um, you know you've ha- you've had a chance to. I, I think a lot of players have met uh, Ryan Smith and his wife Ashley. Um, you know, obviously, you know, interacting with the Millers. So we wanted to start off and get your thoughts on and and couch that and the nba has to formally approve the sale uh which yeah. is which is likely to happen so we understand maybe you can't go into su- super detail but just as much as you can talk about you know your thoughts you know how you took it and what you yeah. potentially see for the future yeah um i mean i don't know what i'm allowed to say or not so if i get fined i'll take the hit but uh, <laughs> yeah it, it um it, it does have to get approved and i'd be i'd be I, I mean i would be surprised if it didn't um uh, like you said i think um, a few of the players that have been here for a little while and um, I mean even the ones that kind of more recent Ryan's always kind of been around those last few years um, obviously a few of us have been more heavily involved with his five for the fight and the, um, it, it kind of started with Ricky really um, with with his mum's battle um, that, that was obviously really close to him and um, Ryan ended up kind of getting four or five of us involved and um, obviously it's a, for us, that's a, it's a really proud thing to be a, a part of. And I think he recently came out and said the, the amount they raised, was like 20 or 25 million in a couple of years, um, for cancer research. Uh, um, yeah, I think the, the guys have got to know Ryan, um, and, and he's a really, I mean, he was passionate as a Jersey patch sponsor. Never mind. Never mind <laughs> so, um, I heard him say a couple of times, he's obviously, and I know from kind of speaking with him that um, he, he's wanted this team for a long time, I think. Right. 
um, the situation with the, the Gail and, and the Miller family. Um, I don't think Ryan was too confident to kind of keep going and keep asking him. I think right. it was on the Miller family to decide when, when they thought their time was up and, and time for them to kind of do something else. And um, Ryan said the, the other day when, when he got the call and, and had been asked if, if kind of he would be interested, it was a no brainer to him. And um, yeah, obviously was, was going to, basically kind of not let it go to anyone else. He, he was going to take it. Um, and then, yeah, flip side, obviously with, with Gail and, and the Miller family, it's, um, I've been kind of talking with Renee a bit the last couple of days since it, the news kind of came public and, and that, and it's, um, I mean, I just feel so lucky to, to, to have been here and been a part of it. And I mean, I came here originally six years ago, on a, on a non-guaranteed deal my first year and honestly was kind of just praying and hoping that I'd play a couple of years in the NBA just to, to say I did it. I was 27 and then just wanted to kind of hang around for a couple of years. And um, I mean, I always envisioned playing longer, but you, you just don't. I mean, it's the best league in the world. So um, I mean, Gail and the, the Miller family and obviously Dennis and Quinn um, kind of took a chance on me. And um, obviously I'm, I'm very grateful that they did because it's turned out to be something probably they never imagined and then something that I know I never imagined. Um, obviously still sitting here about to start my, my seventh season. So um, yeah, I'll be kind of eternally grateful to, to Gail and, and her family and, um, and just the six years, like it's been, I mean, as you guys know, like when I first got here and maybe a little bit before that, we, we weren't great. Um, weren't winning it, weren't winning many games and, um, I think my first year we won 20 or 25 or something like that. And um, obviously Quinn had come in and, and he knew it was going to be a bit of a process, but the, the commitment that the, the Miller family has had to, to this, I guess this team, but more broadly the state and, and Utah in, in general to, to, to one, keep it here from 1985 or, or whatever the year. And then to build what we've built to now, I mean, we're a consistent 40, 50 win team and, um, I mean, I just don't see that changing anytime soon with the, the uh, I guess, what they've built um, with Quinn and the staff and, and the front office and the players. And um, now you've got kind of Donovan and Rudy, who are obviously two unbelievable players to build around. And, um, yeah, I mean, they've just been – I mean, I think you could only speak on behalf of – or I could happily speak on behalf of all of Utah of, of how grateful they are to the Miller family and um, – yeah, it's obviously Calder. Um, it was in. It was their decision. It was their timing. They felt it was right for them. They didn't get kind of pushed out. They, it was all 100% with with their own decision making. And then you flip to the how exciting chapter it is for for Ryan to take over now. You, uh, Joe, your 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 humility is uh, just very enviable. But did you realize how good you were going to be? <clears throat> no. <laughs> because you turned into one of the best players that that we've had, that we've ever had, and your attitude and your your aggression and your skills. I mean, I never get tired of uh, Ingles for three ever. <laughs> as a consequence, I, I I gotta I just have to compliment you so much on your attitude and the fact that you. I mean, you earned your way here, and that's that you get to you get to shine for that. And I'm very very pleased to have watched you turn into the player that you are. No, thank you. I, um, I mean, to, to that question at the start, like, no, I never thought that this would, this would happen or that I'd be in the situation, um, that I'm in today. Um, I, like I said, I, 
I mean, I was 27 and I, I got a shot with the Clippers and I, I probably did go in like I've, not that I have ever gone in like half in, half out, but I, I was like, I'm 27. Like what's the real chances of me making this team? And um, they were obviously really good at that point with, with Blake and Chris Paul and Doc was there and they, they were, they were pretty stacked. And I, I thought I had a good training camp, missed out obviously, which was um, in the end, it's probably meant to be. And yeah, just getting here, I, I just, I knew when I got here, um, I didn't know Quinn personally, but I knew that he'd been overseas. Like I, I knew he would have a, a bit of a different mindset for what I could do compared to a lot of other teams, I think. And um, he'd seen me, I, I played against him when he was coaching in Russia. Um, oh, wow. I was in Barcelona. wow. Did you so really? We, <laughs> yeah. So we, we had a bit of a connection. Um, whenever you hear a, another person speaking English in a foreign European country, <laughs> you, you kind of turn your head pretty quickly. To, to, For sure. So I, I, we never sat down and had a conversation, but you, you pass by and you say hi. And so, so he'd seen me for a long time. And um, yeah, I just, when I got here, I was just like, I'm just not going to give this opportunity up. I'm going to, I'm going to make myself make this team, like whatever it kind of takes that first year to, to get off the non-guaranteed and, and get guaranteed. And then to um, obviously very kind of lucky. Uh, I think after that first year, they, they, they either could have kept me or, or might've, let me go. Like I wasn't great. I wasn't bad. Um, I had some okay games. I had some, some bad games. So very grateful that they gave me another two years. And I think those two years um, just really helped me kind of settle into the style of play and, and the way the jazz play. And I think, like you're saying, like I, I, I tried to, I mean, I try every night to, to leave it all out there and, and um, I, I try to play with, with my personality, um, which um, I'm not going to kind of fake it out there. I, I am who I am. I'm, I'm a talkative guy anyway, but you get in the heat of the moment. And I, I just love that competitiveness. And I think that um, has been embraced by, by the jazz fans. I think they've always been a, a gritty, hardworking, hard playing team. And, and that's the way I feel like I can, I can obviously help the team. And um, I think along the way over six years, I've just kind of built that, um, probably more more than anything and mainly from Quinn the confidence to kind of believe in myself mm. that I should be here um, which is hard to do sometimes in the NBA because yeah sure I mean when I got here Gordon was kind of our guy and Rudy was emerging and we had Ennis Canner who was a top whatever top five or something pick um, we just drafted Rodney the uh, the year no the same year as I came Dante was the fifth pick like I I was just trying to kind of, and I was just this like old guy from Australia that was trying to make a team. Like it was, yeah, old at twenty seven. Yeah, yeah, I mean, right. such yeah. A... Like I was, well, old for, for old for NBA. Like, yeah, here for yeah. The, yeah for, for my first year, and I, like I said, I just thought um, I'm not going to give this up, and I'm going to do everything I can, and I'm going to play the way, kind of the only way I know how to. And I still think about it today. Like I remember those first couple of years, people would like tweet at me or whatever, or comment to me from the crowd and be like, Oh, why aren't you shooting the ball? Or you're so open, like shoot the ball. And I was like, obviously they didn't know the way I play, but I've always played as a pass first. Like I, I get so much, probably so much more joy from getting my teammates and getting them involved and like throwing a Donovan for an alley-oop or a three or Rudy for an alley-oop. Like I get so much more joy out of that than my, my own self, um, like points or score. Like I don't, I don't need that to feel like I've been successful or played well. I, I, and 
Um, I think once over the years when the Jazz fans understood the, the way I play, and granted there was times that I, I probably should have shot more, but I, I um, and I say it on DJ and PK every week, like I'm going to play the way I know how to play. Like right. I can't change that. And um, obviously I think it's my own personal view. I think it's worked out all right for me. <laughs> absolutely. Um, it, it absolutely has. And I, I love your court vision and you can see that, uh, and I, I played hockey growing up, so I, I love the, the and I hear people refer to the hockey assist. And in, in in hockey, you you know it's rare that you get oh you know a one on zero goal. Um, you always there's there's always a, a a couple of different actions that lead to a successful play. And I, I when I watch you play, I can see you setting that up a couple of plays beforehand, anticipating what's going to happen, and it's fun. And, and I can see you. You know, when you talk about it, I can envision you in the game. It's almost like you get a smirk. Like, I know what's going to happen. I know what I want to do. And this is, I'm, I'm, you know, for lack of better, I'm getting off on it. I'm, this is, I'm going to feed this guy and they're going to score. And, I, and, you know, I, I think that does endear you to the fans. And, and one other thing I wanted to bring up, I've watched, you know, different highlights, not a ton of you playing in Australia, but you, you know, you had to have a different mindset because of the, of the difference in talent, you know, where, you know, you. It seemed to me when you played in Australia and the the film that I've watched, you had the ability to be a lot more athletic, for lack of a better term. And I hate seeing yeah. someone does or doesn't have athleticism. You're an NBA player, for God's sake. You've got incredible athleticism. It's just, you know, when you're dealing with all of these uber uber unbelievable athletes, I appreciate. Yeah. You know, I I think it's amazing how you you saw where you could remake your game in a different sense from probably the way that you played growing up in Australia. Yeah. And I think um, one of the biggest things I've learned and, and something that I, I try to kind of pass down a little bit and um, it's hard because you, every player growing up as a bar, like I didn't have like set on dreams of playing in the NBA. Like I wanted to play for my local team in the professional league in Australia in Adelaide. And I wanted to play for Australia, like growing up, that was all I wanted to do. And then when I realized I could get to the level and, and maybe I was good enough, like then it started to set in, like maybe I could play in the NBA, which I know seems really weird because it's the best league in the world. And, and like, why wouldn't you dream of that? But like, I mean, I grew up in Adelaide. We, we didn't have pay TV. Like I didn't watch any NBA. We didn't have Instagram and Twitter where you could open it up and watch nearly a whole game now in, in highlights. And um, so I, I grew up wanting to play for them. And I think when I got here and, and realized obviously how hard it is to, to make it to this league, like there's 15 jobs on every team and, and what, 30 teams and 60 guys get drafted every year. So there's like kind of 20, 30 guys automatically getting pushed out. And then a few of the second round picks make it. And there's a couple from Europe. So like there's 30 to 50 players a year getting turned over um, or getting pushed out by the next generation. And, something that I've always, when people ask me like how I've, how I thought I've succeeded or how I've been, like I've had to adapt ever I've played. When I played in Australia, I was more like I averaged 16 points a game or something. I was, I would shoot like more and that's what my team needed in Europe. I was more of a facilitator in that. Um, with Australia, I've played a different role. And I think when I came to the jazz, my initial thought was like, like I said before, like we've got Gordon, we've got Rudy, we've got, Dante, we had George Hill. Like I've played with so many really good players. Um, and if you think about everyone that's coming, like every team has one or two superstars that are going to have their 
20 shots, 25 shots, and, and they're the main guy. And and realistically, everyone else has to fit in around those two or three guys. Right. And I think a lot of guys coming over here think, even in a draft, like once every two or three drafts, is like a franchise-changing player. Like they're, they're giving the keys to this guy and they're saying, this is your team, like go and – there's not many of them. And I think a lot of guys get caught up in the way that they played in – for Americans like AAU or college or high school being the man everywhere they've gone. And then you get to an NBA team. It's like, well, now, now you're not like you were the 28th pick. You've got to fit into this roster. Like you've got to figure out how you can get on the court and um, try and fit in a row. And I knew for me, it was, I remember Quinn sat me down and, and told me, and I'll never forget the day we had this conversation. He said, if you want to play, you've got to defend at a high level and I need you to shoot the ball when you're open. And that was kind of the two, like, and I was like, <laughs> shit. I mean, that's pretty, like, if you think about it, break it down, all the things that you do and the things you think about to get to the NBA. And, like, I mean, shit, my coach has just told me to do two things. Right. Like, I can do that. Like, <laughs> and that team that we were on, it was with Gordon and all that. Like, if I defended and shot the ball, like, I knew I was going to stay on the court. And I... That was all I went into a game. Like, give me the best player and I'm going to annoy the hell out of him. And then down the other end, I'm just going to shoot some threes when I'm open. Like, and I think a lot of players get caught up in all that college or, or high school. I averaged this or I did this or I had the ball every present. Like, that's just not the way it is now. Like, you have to learn how to be. And, and you see the most successful guys in the NBA. Like, Lou Williams is like, it always comes to mind for me. Like, was a starter, played a hot, and he just accepted that role. Like, yeah, yeah I can be, I can be the best six man ever. Him and Jamal Crawford, like, absolutely, precisely. I no love one, watching them and play. And they come in, and Lou's been averaging twenty a game since he's coming off the bench. Like, it's unbelievable. So, uh, he, the shots um, he makes are unreal. I mean, but he's committed to it like that. I mean, it, yeah, it's, he's hundred percent bought into that role. Like yeah. when we, another good example is is Donovan. When we had that kind of turnover year where Gordon ended up leaving, and we weren't sure, like how we were going to play and Rodney Hood was going to be a, a big factor. And and it just kind of, I was like, Donovan probably came out of nowhere a little bit to everyone's, not not surprised to us at training camp because we saw it a lot more, but to, to the general public, like, holy hell, like this guy, he's a franchise-changing player. Like he can, yeah. between him and Rudy, it's like you've got two unbelievable pieces and, and Donovan had to accept that. Like, Donovan, we need you to shoot 20 shots a game. Like, that that's like you might not want to do that right now or you might want to fill out like feel out but you need to do that and he accepted it he obviously has embraced it and now he's uh, i think it's a massive reason he's uh, i guess developed so quickly because he's so committed to the role that he knows we need him to play he's coming out socially too which i find very very interesting that uh he's um you know, he, he got the playing situation set and now, bless his heart, coming out with uh, feelings from his heart relative to the social situation here, which I don't want to get into, but it's interesting to see him taking a role from that point in addition to what you just described relative to his shooting and stuff. So it's. And I uh, think that's, I honestly think that comes, a part of that comes with the confidence of how, what he feels on court. He, when he first got here, he was he was quiet. He was like he's he's always as everyone knows, like he's a great guy. Like he he's got time for anyone. I I still personally think he still needs to learn how to say no a little bit. Like you, <laughs> yeah. you, you kind of get you get well, pulled in all these directions when you're at the level he's at. And, and I think that hurt him his first off season personally. I think that he said yes sure. he way was, too much. Yeah, 
he was going all over the world and a part of it was like, yeah, I get you've got contractual with, with Adidas or whatever it is, but yeah. you've also just got to learn like you're two years into a what a 15 year career. Like you're going to get burnt out. And I think he's um, the confidence on court and the, 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 the confidence that everybody sees when he's driving down the lane or whatever. And, and so aggressive is, um, has really helped him off the court and he's, He's always been like that, but I think he's he's worked out how to talk about it and how to be, like you said, be be honest with his feelings and how how he really feels and the experiences he's been through. As um, a lot of people have come out and kind of talked about, I think it's um, it's very impressive for a, for a guy his age. It's um, and, and I I totally agree with the with that with that assessment. His age, and he bless his heart. He sets a pace with his superstardom and then his path to that. But at the same time, he's still able to talk about social situations that he's encountered as an African-American, et cetera, et cetera. That just, I mean, it blew me away to hear the fact. And, and you know, you get to a spot where you idolize a player and his skills relative to that. But then also he turns into a human being and you've got to get yeah. back to the fact that he is – a a Black Lives Matter fan, and that's that's all there is to it. And it's uh, it 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 really, I I really did a double take on that one because uh, he came out with that uh, specifically in the bubble, and I guess that he talked quite a bit about it there. Correct me if I'm wrong, but that was a yeah. that was a situation that uh, uh, was it was neat to see, and all of you guys kind of just you know supported him with that. I thought that was pretty cool. I think it's something that. Um... I mean, since I've been here, it's something that that, and, and I talked about it on the radio the other day. It's, um, it, it's one of the things that, that I think the Miller family has has kind of brought in and embodied into this organization. This kind of family orientated. Everybody's got everybody's back. Um, like one of the things that I'll, I'll never forget was um, when we had Jacob's diagnosis and talking to, to Quinn and. Quinn was probably the first person that that knew outside of um, outside of kind of Renee and I, um, and the first thing he said was like it was like forget about basketball. Like if you need a day off, you can't come on a road trip. Like whatever the situation is, like be there for your family. Um, and we were finding it pretty tough at the time, and um, to to feel that love from your head coach who's like if you think about it, he, his job's in like if we lose and lose consistently, like he's getting fired. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Granted, I'm not like I'm not Donovan. Like if I no, don't, but you're, if a, key, you're a key two, part of it. I mean, you're a key part of the team, though. I mean, there's he was, yeah. that was the last thing on his mind. It was like be with Renee, be with Jacob, be with Miller, and, and figure it out. And then um, that's something that I'll forever be grateful for to the to the Miller family for. Like the 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 love that I felt and, and my family felt during that time was, was unbelievable. And, and I think that any, anything that anything that's happened within the organization with a player, a coach, um, any situation that, that everybody has got around them supported them, no matter what, like if it was because something happened and we had to, to lose a game because a couple of us didn't play, like no one cared because we knew we were doing the right thing, supporting our teammates or coaches and, um, it's something that's really special. And I think it's something that Ryan knows and Ryan will, will obviously continue um, on his path as the, the new owner. Yeah. And I, I've seen that with him, which is, which is fantastic how he's matched donations and he's been vocal about change. And 
you know, it, it's when you were talking about the Miller family and the, the ability that they've created to voice opinion socially, almost, I go back to the Russell Westbrook incident and it's, I think that's kind of a benchmark moment where, you know, it, it, of something that was bad that they, that turned into good, that almost enabled this kind of boldness down the road to, you know, to be a part of social change. And that to me is, is how ownership should be. And, you know, is taking situations that are tough and opening the door for other good things to happen down the road. Yeah, I think they've been um, almost uh, kind of at the forefront and, and leaders of, of a lot of it. Gail stood out there in front of whatever, 20,000, 19,000 fans and, um, and addressed it. And um, we've had other things going within the, the team and the organization that they've sat in the room and um, I guess kind of promised us that they would have our back and support us, whatever we want to fight for, whatever we stand for as a, as a team. And um, I think some of that, I mean, you're always going to get kind of backlash a little bit, depending everyone's got their own beliefs and, and feelings and stuff like that. And um, yeah, I mean, to, to have an organization that's a hundred percent behind the, the 15 players and the, the staff and, and everybody that's um, kind of here on that day-to-day basis um, is pretty special. And, um, obviously we don't, we don't, we didn't take it for granted, um, with the Miller family. I think, I think Ryan and, and Ashley will, will be the same. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's just a, it's a, it's a very special organization to, to be a part of. When I watched Gail take that microphone and step to center court, all of a sudden my mother was telling me that if I didn't behave, I would not have dinner for the rest of the week. <laughs> I looked at her and the power that she had in an end. And I know she was shaking like a leaf, bless her heart. She, yeah. <laughs> but at the same time, she put a point across that was absolutely without question. And it was so cool again though, but I flashed on, I flashed on my mom telling me, you, you shape up, dude, or you're you're in trouble. So that it was yeah. it was so cool of her to come out and and I think, you know, you correct me if I'm wrong. Is it would it be safe to say that you have a a, a family relationship situation with this team that is unlike anything in the NBA, or is that common in some cases? How do you, how is that a fair question? Yeah, no, I think it's um, obviously I haven't experienced other teams really, and I wouldn't even say I experienced the Clippers because I was there such a short time, so you don't get to to really dive into it and, and see. But um, I, I wouldn't. <laughs> it's probably not nice to say about. I wouldn't ever say Gail's like a mother figure, but she's been that um, kind of like like that that lady that's just been been there for all of us. She's you feel the love from her family and her obviously from, from her and, and Greg will come in and talk to us and you feel that. And like, it's just such a, a special, special group to be around. And I, I personally am lucky. Like I've been through an experience like this with the Australian team. Like for me, that's like, this is right on par with like, we have such a close knit group with the, with the national team and our families all know each other and our mums and dads and, and the, the wives and the kids and, like everybody is, and when we travel, it's like it's this big. It's like a big family. It's like a big family uh, holiday, um, and, <laughs> and that's cool. what it feels like. Feels like yeah, like it's we travel on the road, and you can talk to anyone. You can go to to Dennis Lindsay and talk to, him, and you can text Justin Zanuck, and you can you can text Greg Miller and ask him something if it's something that you like. It, it just it's so 
welcoming and and friendly and and i think it even extends to the community like recently with the the police stuff that i've done with with autism and and that like i, I was texting and calling the police chief and the mayor and like that's very rare in um in a state which i didn't know it was probably as rare but um in the bigger states like you, new york la is like people aren't going to be able to do that unless you're extremely kind of high level and for us to to have that access it's all and i think a lot of it comes from from the miller family what they've done for this state and that they're anybody's willing to, to help us here and um that's that's from what they've built so uh, i want to transition a bit but it, it bring in you know you talk about australia and in for us here you know it's it, it most people haven't been there but it's you know it, it's the endearing country in the world yeah no. yes i get that <laughs> and i desperately want to go there and you know and and for people in Utah, you know, we've got a little bit of experience with, you know, like Andrew Bogut playing for the Utes and, um, yeah. you know, and, and I'm sure that that probably gave you a little bit of insight knowing him growing up and playing and maybe Majerus came through and, you know, recruited through there because he always had that eye, you know, Hanna Metala that came from Finland. I mean, he had this eye for players all over, but coming from Australia, um, a, a couple of things. I, I want to talk about uh, autism and, and your your commitment to it. You know, with with Jacob and how just uh, how many doors you've opened because you've been willing to share and uh, enable other people. Before I, yeah. I get into that, um, talking about Australia and that culture, um, it, it, you know, I've seen it as a family culture. One of my favorite movies that I've ever seen is a movie called The Castle, which is an awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen that. I'm not I didn't, going straight to the. I know. i straight to the pub room. I mean, that's you know, going to Bonnie Dune. I mean, it's like uh, it's one <laughs> yeah. of my absolute favorite movies ever. And and it's just, you know, it's it is you know, different countries have different ways of life and different uh, come froms. And it doesn't surprise me that you have that kind of family atmosphere on the Australian uh, national team. It, it doesn't surprise me at all. One of the things I wanted to ask you that also. Coming into the NBA, you've now seen all these people that grew up playing AAU, and that is a totally different culture. And it, it's yeah. you know there, but there there's this weird friendship thing too. And I you know when you uh, most of the people the competitors I see come from Australia, you know they want to kick the crap out of everybody and then go have a pint <laughs> afterwards. In the AAU world, you know they they kind of all friends and hugging and and shaking hands and stuff like that, which. Personally, I don't understand when I grew up playing hockey, I wanted to kill the guy and I would, you know, then I I would afterwards, I'd, you know, in private, I'd say good game or something like that. Was that a weird transition for you to see that kind of environment, not having that kind of AAU experience in Australia? Yeah, I think um, what I learned kind of growing up in Australia was, um, and probably probably from personal experience too, like I I was never the the best player or the most talented on my teams. Like I, I, not that it's like a sad story, but I, I'd been cut from teams. Like you, I think everybody in their life has been kind of ups and downs throughout their career. And um, like, I didn't, I didn't know if I was going to play professional basketball. I was playing Australian rules football. I was playing cricket. Nice. Like I didn't know what I wanted to do. And um, what, what I always, what I always knew and what I always did was, was like, I'm just going to leave it all out there. Like I, I can be relaxed off the court and, and, and kind of not really worry about things, but then step over the line. Like, and I wanted to win and I had that competitiveness and same as like you said, like 
I could play against, like I'm really close with, with Paddy Mills and I'll go to dinner with him in San Antonio. But once we, once we play the game, like I, I don't care if it's Paddy or Bogut or anyone, like I'm trying to win. Right. I don't care if <laughs> yeah, I have to make you upset or something like happens an incident in the game where you get mad at me or something. But once the game's over, like we'll, we'll always be, be friends. But um, yeah, I think it was, it's very different. And then I transitioned from kind of that growing up. And then I was playing with the national team with when I first started with the national team, I was 18 and um, didn't really know much about the culture. And you, you get brought into like, and I was 18, the guys were 30, 30, like we're all these old guys. And, and me and Patty were 18, 19 years old when we first got in. And um, you, they probably taught me more about, that competitiveness and and not 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 being friends with people but like once you're on the court it's like we're, we're trying to go to war like it, it right. didn't matter who it was and and we as a country when i first like we weren't as talented as as america or, or france or spain or and so like 80 percent of the way we played was like we're not going to give you an inch like we had to play harder than you we had to be stronger we had to take a hit on the chin and, and not not react to it because we weren't as talented and I think that's something that I've ingrained in me and I, I always try to play that way. Like, I'm not going to let you just push me around. I'm not going to let, and I, like, I don't care who it is now. Like it could be from LeBron to the 450th player in the league, like wherever <laughs> right. they stand on that scale, like I'm going to play the same way. Um, and, and it's probably why I've got into a few little incidents here and there, but um, yeah, it's, uh, we still, we laugh at Donovan now still to this day. Like every time we play someone, he's like, yeah, I played with him at AAU. I played with him in high school. I'm like, you've all played with everybody. Like everyone's played with everybody right. in America. Like everyone's played some kind of basketball. They've crossed over and been teammates or had a tournament where they've been with each other. And I'm like, it's like, it's great. And I have no problem with like who guys are friends with off the court. Like I don't, you can ask, if you're, and there's another bit of a running joke within the team is literally that I hate like everyone we play, and they always like, why don't you like him? I'm like, well, he's not my teammate. Like, right. I don't have, like, <laughs> exactly. I like, yeah. I like my 14, 15 teammates, whatever they are, and I love. I always love the Australians because they're they're um, my countrymen. Right. But, yeah, I don't like. I've just got no time. Like, I have no problem talking to someone off the court. Like in the bubble, you will bump into people in the elevators. Like, I have no problem talking to them. I can talk to anyone. I can feel like I can make any situation feel pretty relaxed and normal. Um, but yeah, once once we're on the court, it's it's over for me. We're, we're trying to win, and I'm not friends with anyone. When you're trash talking on the court while you're guarding somebody, do do they uh, get confused with your uh, Australian accent and they say, <laughs> what the hell did you say? And you, you blow well, by them, take the I'm ball? actually... I've, I actually think I've got away with getting a few more technical fouls than I have in my career because they either don't understand what I say. <laughs> I usually try and like when I go to the referees, I try and like talk some shit to them and, and like kind of try, like trying to get my point across because usually I'm like I'm only doing it because I think it's they've missed something or I think there's something going on. But I try and do it with a smile on my face as much as I can. I noticed so that. that. Like, I watched that. <laughs> oh, he's actually like yelling and swearing at me, but he's but he's also smiling. Like, is he actually mad or is he trying to like? Um, so I think it saved me a few times. That's but, perfect. That's um, perfect. I've actually been yeah, I've been sprung sprung a lot a lot as well. So 
So uh, we we did a uh, an AMA ask you know on on Reddit beforehand get some fan questions and one of the most popular questions was trash talking and of course everyone wants to know about how much you enjoy trash talking Paul George so as much as you can talk through it did you uh, <laughs> did you actually feel like you got in his head or were you just having the most fun that you could in the most intense moment possible I think no one's actually kind of said it like that, but that that probably explains it perfectly. Okay. Um, I like there, there was there was and it probably disappoints some people, but there was never any like pre-game thought or conversation of like I'm going to do this or say this or um, like I said, I, I go out there every game and and play with I guess a bit of a chip on my shoulder, but also. Um, a competitive level that like I don't want to lose like I don't care if it's who who it is like like you can and <clears throat> Quinn can give me any matchup he wants to give me and I'm going to try and do my best at it and like I there's I mean you flip the switch like there's been times that I've been absolutely killed too like it's not like I'm this unhuman that just kind of goes in and it was a obviously a, a very intense series um I think I mean, they probably I, they probably had a bit more prayer. I think with the team they had and, and what they were kind of talking about, what they wanted to do, we we definitely had a bit of a chip on our shoulder that we that we thought we could win the series and we knew we could win the series, but um, we had to play a certain style. We had to be extremely disciplined for for 48 minutes every game. And I mean, the games we didn't, I think it was game five in Oklahoma. Like we gave Russell Westbrook a sniff and he got him back from 18 down and they won the game. Like it was right. Um, we knew that those times could come because of obviously how talented they were. Um, but on the flip side, yeah, we just had it. We had a game plan, and my whole thought and process, and like you said, like I was having so much fun. Like it, it was one of the like that the Clippers series that we beat the Clippers in that OKC series. I will. I mean, hopefully, we go further and we we win a championship, and and that'll probably obviously tip the cake on, on anything, but sure. those, those two series will always be memorable to me. I think the Clippers being cut from them and then getting to start. Um, and I hadn't started all regular season. Then a couple games leading into it, I started starting and to take the challenge of guarding JJ Redick, which, which coach asked me to do. And I, I just um, kind of embraced that and, and loved that challenge. Cause to, to me, JJ, I, I respect the hell out of JJ. He run, uh, the, the, I, I think he runs some like 20 miles a game or something like that. It's ridiculous. It, it, he it does is... not stop. And no, um, kind of being like, he was a bit of a funny side story, but he was the first ever person I ate a meal with in the NBA. He, we finished training my first, uh, one of the first trainings with the Clippers. And he was like, Hey, do you want to go eat? And I went and ate with him and I was like sitting there all nervous and, it's kind of a bit silly looking back now, but I'm, I still talk to him very regularly and, and he, he helps me a lot. Like I ask him questions all the time, but that series will always be. And then, yeah, then the Paul George. And I mean, it was just one of those things that you, I mean, I know, like, I mean, I don't think anyone would sit here and say, I'm a better player than Paul. Like I know he's a better player than me. Like he's unbelievably offensively talented when he's locked in and committed on that defensive end. He is, he's really tough to play against as an offensive player. Um, so I, I knew what I was up for. And, and I, I still never never forget the first game. I think he had 40 or 42 yep. or something. And Quinn pulled, pulled me aside and said, we're, we're going to change the matchups. Like we're going to, we just don't think it's the right matchup. We're going to put you on like whoever it was at the time. 
And I was like, no, no, no. Like, give me one more chance. Like, I, like, I know I, I know I messed it up and he had 40, but like, give me another <laughs> chance. And, um, and he did. And obviously I, I was able to kind of repay him a little bit, but yeah, um, you yeah, pestered just, the shit out of him. There's a Rocky, yeah, there's a Rocky montage going against, on in the background. Like, a guy like that, of, of that caliber, like I'm not more athletic than him. I'm not more offensively talented. The thing I can do is I can just annoy him. Like I know I can do that. Like I can do that. I do it to my wife every day. Like she hates me for it. Like I, can, <laughs> I know I can do that. Um, you can see it in his and face. I think for me, I it was just it. like, yeah, it was just like let's just annoy. Him. Like if I can, in my mind, if I can kind of take him out of the game, then it's more or less like a four and four battle, and I think we can win that battle. And that, granted, like I mean, still give credit to him because he he still averaged whatever he averaged for the series and played well, but. Um, but you I made it hard for like him. I played a little part. Yeah. I, I, I always feel like I played a, a little part in that series. No, that was a major part. That was a big time part. I want you could. I love watching his face contort every time you got on him. That was really. <laughs> it was just like little fun. things. Like I, I, rem- I remember one situation, which is, it's so stupid of me, like looking back, and I didn't even kind of know I did it. But he was, he was going to inbound the ball, and I saw him. Like he was tired. It was end of the fourth quarter or something like that. He was tired. It was a close game, and he was the referees were talking about something, and he had his hands on his knees, like leaning over. So I walked over to the inbound instead of like giving him the the three feet of space or whatever you're supposed to do. I just walked up and like bumped my stomach into his head, like just to annoy him a little bit, and he pushed <laughs> me. And I think I think he got a technical foul. And, <laughs> I remember it was that. Just that. It was just it was things like that. It was it was right opposite the scorers bench, like that opposite side of. Yeah, the I saw that. Yeah. I remember seeing that. Um, just things like that. Like I was just like, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna annoy him. Like, and I mean, he probably. I think he genuinely like really doesn't like me, which um, <laughs> is okay with me. But that's a badge. Yeah, that's a badge of honor in my book, yeah. too. I mean, yeah, absolutely. I'm, like, I'm not. When I'm all said and done, I'll be back in Melbourne, and I'll never have to see him. Right. Anyway, <laughs> Unless he's trying to extend his career in <laughs> professional <laughs> basketball in Australia. That you was know? <laughs> what what you said and how you explained it is probably the like. I've I've tried to think about it how you, how like you talk about it because it's not. I don't really like talking about like the things I've done myself. I'd rather talk about the team or whatever, but yeah, like the most intense situation and I was having the most fun I'd ever had. So that, that explains it perfectly. Yeah. Good. Good. I, well, I, it's, it's been, it, it is like the, one of the most legendary thing for modern jazz fans, you know, because it's that there, there haven't been that many over trash talkers in jazz history. You know I mean? Carl and John were, I think a lot more succinct about it. You know, John may have been a a knee to the nuts and Carl was just like, (laughs) if you come in, you're going to hurt, you know, and I will tell you you about it and, and I'm going to hurt you on offense as much as defense, you know? So to see the overtness, uh, but in a fun way, along with the, the, the workmanlike attitude, I think that's, you know, what endears it. And and then I think a part of it too, is like, like you were saying about having the most fun, like I, I know, I'm very self-aware and realistic. Like my career is, I'm not at the peak. Like I, I came in very late. I knew my career was going to be shorter than what the average NBA career, um, well, not the average, but what a lot of players, um, like Donovan's going to have a 15 year career. Rudy's going to have a 15. I knew mine was kind of five to seven years once I got a four year deal. Um, and like, <clears throat> why wouldn't I have the, like the most fun I've ever had? Like I'm right. playing in the best league. 
I'm very lucky financially with what the, the, the Millers and stuff have given me. Like I, I'm okay. And I'm going to go out there and like have fun and, and try and make my, my family proud and, and enjoy it. Like I, that's why I smile so much and, and try to, to laugh and talk to the referees and talk to the other coach. Like I, I just really enjoy, enjoy playing and being out there. So it's a, it's an honor to, to do that for the jazz. Well, it, and what you do is uh, very infectious. I, I love your smile out there, too, because it's so, so unusual. I have to, I mean, you know. I mean, you... I drive to Java Joe's and talk shit to the girls. <laughs> and and the Emma, guys and girls that work there oh. are like, they probably see my car coming in. The guys are like, oh, here we go. Again. No, 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 no. Like Emma, Emma, and she, she loves it. She said, Joe is so insightful. I have the best conversations with him. And I'm like. That's great. You know, it changed her whole perspective on NBA players, you know. So it was because she's, you know, probably the best people to talk to are people that aren't fans because you get the most insight. Sure. In, 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 100%. Yeah. And, and they're, you know, they're completely honest and there's no veneer in front of them. A so. couple of days ago. When we, when we first hired our, our, we've got an American nanny that lives with us and she's been with us the whole time. We've had the twins for kind of three and a half years now. And, when we first got her, she had no idea who I was and who I played for. And like, she was just like, this is awesome. Like these kids are awesome. Your wife's unbelievable. Like, I don't really care. Like as long as my paycheck comes through every couple of weeks and we get like, I'm having like, and it was, it was so refreshing. Like there, there was days where I'd be like, Oh, I've got to go to training. Like, why are you going to training? Like, well, that's my <laughs> job. Like I've got to go to like, right. it, it was just, it was just, she just doesn't. And I think I get along with those type of people's people a lot better. It's just like, I'm happy to talk about like anything else. Like when I'm not at basketball, like I'm more than happy to talk about anything else than, um, than basketball. Cause we do, we spend so much time and talk about it all day, every day that when you get away from it, it's like, Hey, it's really nice to like hear what, Emma at the coffee shop's doing. Like, right. It's really cool. <laughs> well, Emma just learned what NBA stood for, but thanks to you. <laughs> <laughs> but she'll she'll know forever now. Yeah, and, exactly. yeah, and forget about it. And and, and when she goes yeah, to they, Amsterdam, they know my order. So. Like, they, yep, they see exactly. My car, they, they see my car pull in, and they I can see him run back, and they start making it. Exactly. <laughs> that's what it's she takes. Situation. That's what she takes the most pride in. So. Couple of, okay, so these are uh, uh, no, I don't know if you're familiar with Reddit or not, but uh, these these are some AMA questions, and then yeah. uh, and then uh, we'll we'll transition into autism, and because sure. that's that's such a great you know the thing to talk about and spread awareness of. So, first question: sausage roll or mince pie? Which is your preference? Um. I'm hoping they they misspelled it or something and it was meant to be meat pie. So yes, I, I'm, meat pie. I I think that it's meat pie. Yes, I think that's mince meat, meat pie. Yeah, meat yeah. pie, a hundred percent, hundred percent meat pie. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Let's With see. Tons of ketchup on top. Tons of ketchup on top. <laughs> oh, it's, so you can't get them here. Obviously, like we've we've looked at obviously being here six years, you kind of figure out what you can ship and what you can't ship, and obviously that they're. It's, it's a food, so it's it's a pastry with basically kind of minced meat inside. Um, it's got some flavoring and all that. That it, it's not just like a a chunk of beef stuck in the middle of it, but it's got some <laughs> flavoring and um, kind of some like brown gray. Like it's just this mix of. Um, and I actually found a place in I think it's Atlanta, and they ship them frozen in like a um, freezer ice bag box thing. And, yeah. Um, so I've got some in my freezer. But yeah, definitely, definitely meat pie. Nice. <laughs> so uh, I do have a son, Calvin, 
and uh, he he uh, threw out the question, me versus you, Joe, one-on-one. He is left-handed in 6'4", but he can't play basketball to save his life. <laughs> I, always, I always get that too. Like I, I, the amount of people on social media that write like, oh, I could like verse me one-on-one for this or that or like I could <laughs> – like, I know, I like I said before, I'm very, very self-aware of like who I am as a player, what I can do, what I can't do. But I'm still playing in the NBA. Exactly. Yes, <laughs> still, That's undeniable. I'm still an NBA player. And any like average Joe that wants to tweet at me like, hey, I'm going to be like, just go go to your house, take a deep breath and just really think about what you're asking. Exactly. Like, whoever like, whatever like fan vote, media vote, whoever like was voted the worst player of like the 450 players would still kick your ass. Annihilate. Yes. Like, what, what annihilate. But people just don't it's, get that. That's exactly they the They really truth. don't. It's like one day we should just line up a bunch of people and go, all right, here's like whoever. Here's Kevin Durant. Go and play one of them. Like see what happens. <laughs> here, like here's whoever you think is like whoever's whatever rated or like whoever, whatever, however – Here's some rookie that was a second-round pick. Like he's still going to kick your ass. Yeah, it, it, every day, every day, as easily as possible. Um, <laughs> I love that. Uh, do you have a favorite NBL team in Australia? Um, so, kind of a two-answer question. But I, I grew up in Adelaide, and the the team in Adelaide was called the Adelaide Thirty Sixes, um, and. My favorite player, who's now a really good friend, is was Brett Maher, and, and he was the guy that – he was the captain, and he was a, the two-guard shooting guard for him, and he was the guy, like – he was who I wanted to be. Like, I – Really? Everything I did growing up was, like, I want to be like Brett Maher. He played for oh, probably 15 years in the NBL, went to three Olympics, um, and like I said, like he was from my hometown and my hometown is, is pretty small and compared to a lot of other states in Australia. And, um, so my, that, like I was saying earlier, like, that's what I wanted to do. Like I never even thought of the NBA. I never, my two goals were to play for Adelaide and to, to play for Australia. And, um, so, so growing up, Adelaide was, was my, my team was my favorite team. All I wanted to do for, was, was play for them. And, um, when I got to the age of, um, 17, 18, when I ended up signing with a team in Australia in the NBA, I actually signed with another team because a bunch of stuff happened. And I thought the team in Melbourne that I signed with was the best opportunity for me. And um, so I actually didn't, I would have got to play with Brett. He was the last couple of years in his career, but I actually went to another team. So I played against him, which was cool. Nice. Um, but yeah, my the team I played for was called the South Dragons in, in, in based in Melbourne, um, in, basically in the the like kind of city of, of Melbourne, great, but right downtown. And um, so they were my, my team when I, when I grew up. And uh, do you have a favorite Australian, Australian rules football team? I do. I followed uh, Hawthorne, the Hawthorne Hawks. Okay. Um, and I only followed them, which is a, a bit of a silly story, but I, the year I moved to Melbourne, I was 17 and I signed in Melbourne. I was from Adelaide, so I didn't really know anyone. And I was going to, it's like growing up in Utah and going to this big, like New York, like you're like, Oh, like Melbourne is this big city with food and restaurants and nightclubs, like all these things that I just never did or thought about growing up. And, um, the year I went there, one of my really good friends got drafted in the AFL to, to Hawthorne. And I was like, 
and I'd played against him in basketball growing up. And so we'd always been kind of friends because of, of basketball. And then he was from this tiny little country town called Lee and Gatha and um, three hours out of Melbourne. But when I say country town, like there's a house and then there's not enough, you can't see it. Right. Like it's, <laughs> it's what like Americans picture crocodile Dundee's from. Like, right. Yeah, yeah, it's it's like, right. <laughs> like you cannot, you cannot see another house. So he grew up in that kind of lifestyle. And I was from this really small town and we, we both kind of went to Melbourne together and we started hanging out, obviously knowing each other. And, um, I started going to his games. He was key. He would come to mine and, uh, he actually, he just retired last year and, um, played 15 years, won four championships. He, he was a hell of a player. And, um, yeah, still like now he's got kids. I've got kids. Our kids are friends. And that's awesome. Um, but that's, yeah, that's kind of how it started back in the, back in the day this, when I was a kid and I'm dating myself. So there was uh, ESPN like would show just odd sports. Like this is way before they were yeah. popular and they would show Australian rules football. And you I would still get it now. If you're up late enough on like ESPN two or something. Yeah. You can still watch up. it. Oh, I, I'll, I'll do it. Cause I would come home and watch it all the time. And I, I loved it. Like it was, uh, it, this really, you know, is way more interesting than soccer to me, you yeah. know, <laughs> in, in better than rugby. Um, and so like, I just, uh, yeah, I watched it all the time when I, when I would come home, you know, after school in our, in our basement. There's, dead, there's been you know? like late nights of getting home from a road trip or something like that. And I'll, we'll get off the plane, I'll drive home and it's two in the morning and I get home and I'm kind of not that tired because I've just had to, to drive in the snow and right. have to wake myself up to be safe. And, um, I'll literally get home and put on the TV for a little bit or yeah, like ESPN two, I think it is or something. Yep. I'll sit there and watch a, the second half or something and then end up going to bed way too late. But, <laughs> um, no, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's an awesome spot. It's, it's something that when I grew up in Australia, like you, you go, that's what you grew up watching. Like that's our, I don't know what people classify as the most popular or main sport in America, but that's our most popular nice. main sport. Like I could, even to this day with what I've done in the NBA and stuff, I could still walk down the street and be, fairly unrecognized apart from how tall I am um, <laughs> where I felt like my friend, if, if I ever showed you a picture, his name's Jared Roughhead, which his last name explains a lot about what he looks like. And <laughs> like he walks down there, he's shaved red hair, freckles all over his face, like a really regular looking dude. And people just stop and like idolize him. It, it's amazing. Love that's it. just, that's, it's our most popular sport and those guys get treated like that. It's a, it's an honor for them to, to be able to do that. I'm sure. I, I, I love it. I, I love it. And I, I hope someday to get to it, actually go watch a game. I, that would be so um, transitioning to autism and it, it obviously near and dear to you uh, because of your son. Um, I, I recently watched a documentary that was filmed in, in Australia, I believe um, called love on the spectrum. And yep. I, I don't know if you've seen it. Hilarious. It, it is hilarious. And it, it, it is so well done and, and so touching. Um, and what I loved about it is it shows adult. I mean, these adults that, that are on various levels of the spectrum that want to be in love, that want to have a, a, a life partner. And they're just so sincere and honest. And it, it's so refreshing to watch it from that perspective because it's, they're very clear about what they want and they're very aware of what they can and can't do, but it doesn't change yeah. their desire to, to love. And so, you know, it, it's, 
in, it also for me is like really hopeful for people that are, are dealing with, with, uh, you know, autism in their family. So that was one of the first questions that came up on our AMA and I want to read a couple to you and then have you talk about yeah. it and, and, yeah. and, uh, uh, you know, just really give love to it. So, uh, so a couple questions as someone with a daughter who was autistic, I greatly appreciate the work that you and your wife have done what you do and what you, what do you see as the next primary steps for autism advocacy at a local and national level here in the United States? Oh, we probably got, we probably, um, double the podcast. Well, we'll, we'll happily have you back to have an autism only podcast someday, Joe. That would be great. Yeah, no, it's, um, like you said, obviously it's, it's something that's, that's very, very close to me and, um, and Renee obviously. And, um, I think, like going for us, the the, the process is, is tough, and I would would never shy away from it. I, I'm obviously not ashamed or embarrassed of, of Jacob or his diagnosis. I think it's something that, um, and not just in America but worldwide, the the perception of someone with a, a special need or or mental illness or anything like that needs to to be changed. Um, so I feel like obviously when we got Jacob's diagnosis, the first and foremost as a parent, um, I mean, it's probably, I don't cry that often or really ever. Um, and I remember we, we got the diagnosis. We'd been going through it for for months. It was kind of an appointment every week for, for a, a few months and different assessments, different tests, this and that. And then, his age trying to see what like there, there was so many things that went on and it's pretty tiring. And I went to as many as I could, obviously with our schedule, I was in and out and I, I still remember reporters writing how like bad I was playing and stuff right. like that. And I'm like, screw you. Like that's where the, the part of the media for me is hard because they, they just don't know what people are going Not through. A clue. Um, Not right. a clue, especially in this age. But, yeah, so we're, we're going through all this process and, and we were, like I, I say it now, kind of with a smile, like we were we were pretty confident that we were going to get a diagnosis of Jacob being autistic. Like what we, the research we'd done and talking to some friends and family that, that like we, we'd gone into it like we know we're pretty sure he's going to be autistic and what, like, what can we do to help him? Like that's the only mindset you have and – sure. Um, so I remember sitting in the room, it was like this little hospital room, doctor's room, and, and the doctor came in and it was the last assessment Jacob had and we're doing all these, he's doing all these tasks and it was like, he, he was doing things that day that he'd never done before. And we, me and Renee were looking at each other like, shit, he's killing it. Like, <laughs> we're going to walk out of here and like, he, he won't be diagnosed. Like, Ooh. Um, and she sat us down and she was like, she obviously gave us the, the news and said, yep, he, he's on the spectrum. Um, at that point, probably not knowing kind of like where on the spectrum, if he was kind of high functioning or, or he was going to need kind of more help as he, as he grew up. And um, I remember getting in the car, we didn't speak to each other on the way home. And like I said, I'm, I'm not a crier. And I, I walked in the house and for whatever reason, Renee's parents were over at that time um, just to, to, to see the kids and, and see Renee and, and whatever. And, um, I walked in, I saw her dad and her dad is this like, <laughs> not a big guy as in tall, but like a solid guy. He's a builder. He's got a big, thick mustache. Like he's pretty, not rough, but like 
he's a builder. He's carried bricks and stuff around his whole life. Like it's wears like flannelette shirts all the time. And I walked (laughs) in and he was the first guy I saw as I opened the door and I just started bawling my eyes crying and and he started crying. And I was just like, Holy shit. Like this isn't like, this, (laughs) this isn't what I envisioned. Like, um, but yeah, it was, and it wasn't, I mean, I, to, to this day, like I, I wasn't crying out of, out of sadness or like I said, embarrassment or anything like that. I, I think it was um, probably the real, like the realism of, of what we were about to be facing. Like right. the, the challenges Jacob's going to have, the challenges he's going to have, which that show love on the spectrum kind of like you start, like my first thing was like, is he going to play basketball? Like I'd always like imagine my son playing, like I would have, that, that, that was like a dream. Right. That I think any father has the, the, for their son to follow in their in their footsteps to a certain degree. And like, is he going to play basketball? And then it's like, well, screw basketball. Like, is he is he going to go to get a job? Is he going to go to a mainstream school? Is he going to have a girlfriend one day? Like, right. just the regular start stuff that you go through as a as a regular human in life. Like the the, the steps to get there. So I think it was all of that and um, just a, a build up over the months and then. I mean, pretty quickly you, you transition into like, like, all right, what's the best for Jacob? Like now we, we have to do whatever we can um, possible to give Jacob the best chance to be the, the, the best kid that he can be. Um, so Renee was on the phone and, and I've got to give way much more credit to, to Renee early on because she went to all the appointments that, that I couldn't go to, um, even though Quinn had, had given me a free pass to kind of miss. Like, she wouldn't let me miss games. Mm. Um, she wouldn't let me miss road trips. She, she knew how important it was. So it was probably a, a bit of an escape for me to, to not think about it for a little bit. Sure. Um, so, like I said, she gets way more credit because she was just living it day in, day out for, for months. And, and she's an athlete as well, right? Yeah, so she, she was still playing at that time. Um, she just retired last summer. Um, so she was kind of like trying to train, trying to stay fit. So when our season finished, we'd jump on the plane and she'd go back and, and start her season. So it's always a bit of a, it was a bit of a tough kind of thing to juggle, but we, we made it work because we were, we both wanted to, to support each other's careers. And um, yeah, I remember getting, she, we got home and then for the next like two or three days, just being, she, she was just on the phone every day because what they told us is, Jacob needs to get into to therapy as soon as possible and he needs like 20 to 25 hours a week. So getting into therapy is a lot harder than what it like. It's not just signing up for a, a high school and, and getting accepted and like there's limited spots, the financial um, side of it, which I'm not complaining f- from us. Like obviously we can afford to, to get Jacob whatever he needs, but there's so many things that get tied into it. And so Renee was on the phone for days trying to get him in and like, no, nah, we're booked in, we're booked out. We can't get any more kids in. We've got no therapists, but like, and then one accepted us and we were like, all right. And at that point you don't know what you're looking for. Like every autistic kid needs something a little bit different. It's not going to be the same for them all. They all need a little bit different help in a, in a certain way. Like, they've all got different personalities. They're all, they're all completely different. Um, right. Every kid on the spectrum. So we, we got him into the first one we could so he could start his therapy and he and he just hated it. He absolutely hated it, hated it. And a part of that too, I think, was being two years old and like we, we'd never dropped him somewhere and left. Like we, he'd always been with his mum and dad. Like we were, that was a safe spot for him. And so a part of it was, was him getting used to, to that. Um, so yeah, I mean, 
looking back now, I mean, he's been in therapy for, for a couple of years. And I mean, a year ago, we had a, a son that had never said a word. And, and now, excuse my language, but he doesn't shut up. It's just like, <laughs> it's like we've got like a completely different kid. And, and I think a part of that is, again, like it, it's hard for me to talk about it a little bit because I know the financial struggle people go through to, to get their kids into it. And I'm very, very aware, like I'm in a very lucky situation that I can put Jacob into whatever hours he needs and, and pay for it. And during the pandemic, we had him in um, a therapist. We were paying to come to the house to do it because we knew how important it was. So I don't want to um, shy away from the fact that I, I know how lucky I am to be able to put Jacob in the, the, the position he needs to be in. Um, but yeah, now, I mean, we've got a kid now that, that is – it's just un- unbelievable. I, I, I get like I get a story every day from Renee, or I tell her a story every day of like driving him home from school or whatever it is. And today they were driving to school, literally this morning, and it was it was Halloween dress up day, and Jacob went as Mario. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> and they were driving, and Jacob pointed over at a house and was like, um, "Oh, like ghost!" Like he'd know he'd recognize that there was a ghost driving by like someone's house had been done up and then he followed up ghosts with Halloween, like that he knew we were, we were in Halloween right now, which like to me, it's just like mind boggling. Absolutely. A year ago, um, he didn't, he wouldn't say a word, like not a single word. Like he'd make noises and sounds, but he wouldn't, he, he couldn't physically or mentally actually say a, a word. So, um, just the, the steps that, that, that we've seen, I, I think the biggest things we've learned throughout this kind of last couple of years is is how important it is for early um, detection of it, mm-hmm. early um, awareness and finding out. Like um, we, we've known people that have found out younger than two what Jacob was. We, found, we, we know people that have found out five, six, seven, eight, nine years old. Like yeah. Where it, it's not too late, but it's a lot harder to, to, to help them um, kind of transition. And uh, I, I think for a lot of parents who are uh, going through what we're going through is like everyone's got different goals. Our, our goals for Jacob is to go to mainstream school, for him to be in a school with his twin sister, with, with Miller and like being in class with his twin. Like they sleep in the same room still. Like we – yeah. We ask him all the time, like, Miller, do you want to sleep like sleep in your own room? Or like, no, I want to be with Jacob. And <laughs> wow, she's she's cool. absolutely obsessed with her brother, which is super like we're we're building a house in Australia at the moment for it's gonna take a couple of years and, and we're putting all the plans together now and it's like, Hey Miller, in a couple of years, like do you do you want like when the house is physically getting built, like do you want your own bedroom? I'm like, no, I wanna be with Jacob. And obviously that's That'll definitely change one day. Sure. She's not going to be <laughs> 15 years old and, and want a room with her. I guarantee you that'll happen. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's just that it, it's such a cool thing that, and so for us, it's like whatever we have to do to, to try and get him into to mainstream school. So there, there is a lot of a lot of challenges. I think um, again, back to the question about what what's needed. I think, and I, I've probably been guilty of it to a certain extent before knowing about Jacob, but just having the awareness of, of other people and what other people are going through. Mm-hmm. And I've been on planes where a kid's screaming, you're sitting there like, shut up. Like, <laughs> like 
can't these parents control their kid? Like, and I've been on the flip side, flying on a 20, 20 hour flight to Melbourne with Jacob losing his mind. And like part, part of it, like there's not much you can do in those situations. Like we've got to try obviously calm him down and, and figure out what's wrong. Um, so I think people having an awareness and understanding of like what people are going through or like one of the biggest things, like I, Renee gets mad at me sometimes because I don't have a, a filter sometimes in public with, with with some people, depending on what they say or do. And there's been times at like a supermarket where Jacob's on an iPad or screaming and they'll make the comment of like, oh, like, why, why would you give your son an iPad or why is he upset or like, like, can you make him qu- like get him to be quiet or whatever? And I'm like, granted, like, if I want to give my son an iPad, I'm going to give him an iPad. Like, you don't right. tell me how to be a, you don't exactly, tell right. me how to be a parent, like first and foremost, but right. also like it's something for him, like, like that, that really calms him down. And, and it's something that's, that's, we found really good for him. And he, he actually does like more educational stuff than he does. Like he learned, he counts to 30 now. He learned how to count off this like stupid iPad game. And, <laughs> oh, wow. That's like, so, so having an, just an awareness, I think is so important of like, you, you just don't know what, what kids, families, mums, dads, like the, the mental illness part of it as well. Like there, there's so much that can go on. So um, having an awareness. And then if, if my advice to someone that like we have, Renee's a lot better at kind of talking about it, but um if people have any kind of like thought or like, Hey, my son might be, or my daughter, um, whatever it is, like my advice would be to just go, go through the assessment and, and figure it out as soon as possible. If, if you get a no, then all good. Like go on with maybe, maybe it's something else. Maybe it's a speech delayment. Maybe it's social interaction. That's, that's awkward or, or uncomfortable for the child. So, um, I think just just finding out as as early as possible because the more therapy you get in, um, I, I feel like we're kind of living proof of, of if you can cram as much therapy as you can into into a kid as as <laughs> um, as much as you can, um, it can really help. And again, I'm aware of the finance. Like for a regular kid um, that needs the hours, it, it can be anywhere up like over a hundred grand a year for, wow. for therapy. So. Um, a part of what we do is like fundraising and, and trying to help other families because um, because we obviously know how important it is. Well, it's sorry, uh, I could talk. No, about no, 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 no. Oh no, I, you and keep I going whatever you want. It's um, you know what what I when I watched that that documentary and I um, have become more and more familiar with autism. I when I was young, my one of my favorite movies ever was Rain Man. And, yeah, you know, yeah, it, 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 it is. And it just, um, I, what I hope is that there are more documentaries and more, there is more knowledge that is spread so that, cause in my mind, the love on the spectrum documentary gives hope and it, and it also, what it did is it, it, to me showed the, the vital importance of that parental interaction. Cause every person on there had such a tight relationship with both parents and yeah. it you know, it was so critical and these parents invested their lives. You could see it and they, they, you know, you could see it in their emotions, but they, you know, it was critical. And well, that's I, what, I guess that's one of the things that you like, you're thinking about as you're driving home when you get this, like, there's a lot of autistic kids that, that are, are living at home forever Yeah, until they're 30, 40, 50. Like it's, yep. 
Um, so for us, it's like all these thoughts of like, man, is, is Jacob going to live with us forever? Which, I mean, I would absolutely love all my kids to live with me forever, right. but I do realize <laughs> there's, a, there's a point in life that we all grow up and we, we get married or, or whatever. Like you could be move out, be single, like whatever the situation is. And um, I think that show gives a, a very cool, a bit more of an understanding of um, even how the, how these kids or adults now think. Like they – yes. They know they're autistic. They know they're a little kind of quirky and different to, to some people, um, but they're not really any different. Like no. they've got feelings. They've yep. got. They just they their brain almost kind of works in a in a different way. They think about things a different way. Like Miller thinks about doing something completely different to what Jake. Like we could give them both exactly the same toy, and before Jacob even thinks about playing with it, he looks at it and figures out how it works and how it moves or how it, whatever it is, like how it, how it all works where Miller's already like broken it by the time. (laughs) That's just the way they work. And the coolest thing too, is like now that they're just over four, like Miller's Miller knows that like you you try to, um, Miller's the most like caring little girl in the world. And I, like she's going to be the best kind of supporter and big sister or little sister, but she, she's taller than him. So um, <laughs> kind of bigger sister for Jacob, but um, her understand, like, like she knows we've, we've made it very clear. Like she goes to school and Jacob goes to therapy and she knows that. And so when she asks like why she can't go to Jacob's school, it's, well, he doesn't go to school. He actually goes to therapy. He, we've told like Jacob needs a little more, a little bit more help with some things that, that you don't need help with. And, on the flip side of that, like, hey, Miller, you need – like, Miller can't count to 30 that well. Jacob nails it. Like, it's like it's – like, and it's like, hey, Miller, you're going to you're gonna need some help with things that, that Jacob isn't going to need some help with. Um, wow. But but they're, they're both very um, – it, it's really cool to see their little relationship. And, like, Miller will go and run off and, and grab something for Jacob that she knows that he wants that will um, calm him down or help him, like – yeah, she she is uh, she's so special. There's been there's been days that I've been on a road trip and Jacob's losing his mind. Like there's there's times that he gets really really wound up and and you're trying to figure out how to calm him down and um and the like Miller will sit there and like Renee's crying, Jacob's upset, like it's all and. Renee will finally get Jacob like into bed or whatever, and Miller will give mum like Renee a, a cuddle and be like, "Are you okay, mum?" Like uh-huh. she, she just really <laughs> is very aware that um, Jacob needs a little bit more help at times, and um, so yeah, I'm so I'm very proud of both my children and, and Renee, but um, really proud of like Miller of how she helps him in in so many situations. Well, and and it's to hear you talk about your your kids and your family. I mean, it, it's the it's to me i mean because you know i i i've been married for 25 years and together with my wife for 30 years i love my kids that's everything to me and as a as a father and a husband to hear the way that you talk about your family and your kids is i i think in answer to this question and leading out to hear you talk about that i think will inspire others because it's so genuine and it's you you can talk basketball you know but it's fleeting for for everybody you know especially nba players it's 
you have a finite amount of time and then you get back into the real world and the fact that you are able to, you know, show your, your passion and, and, you know, just that and talk about your family and that, that in intimate of a way, I think will inspire others, Joe. So it's, I really appreciate you talking about no, that. No, thank you. And I, I mean, I think that the, I guess everyone that's the father and stuff like that understands it, but, um, like basketball is, is great. And I'm, again, I'm, I'm very, very lucky and aware that I'm lucky in, in the situations that I've been in. Um, but I mean, I'm going to be a father forever. Right. <laughs> right. Basketball is going to last a few more years and eventually I'll have to, to walk out of Utah and, and go back home. And, um, I mean, I'm never going to walk away from my kids. Like they're, they're going to kind of be there forever. So it's something that, um, yeah, I'm just very, I'm obviously very passionate about my, my children and family and, um, and how important they are and, and the role that they play. Um, the sacrifice that, that Renee and, and the kids have given up for, for me to live in a, a completely different country to, to pursue a, a dream and a job. Um, I'm very, very, very aware of it. Joe, you're going to be able to uh, get out there more socially, make people more aware of autism with your with what's going on with you now, and that's going to be a major benefit for the entire world, I guarantee you. And I, it's I, probably the it's probably the most exciting part about being who I am is that people actually listen to some yeah. things that I say. I mean, <laughs> I'm, I'm hearing stuff now that I have to admit fully that it, I wasn't totally aware of, but it's I I I I watched your face last year when I, when the diagnosis was there, and then you were and that giving you a donation was the easiest thing that I've ever done. But the end result of you being able to carry that forward socially and make people aware of what it is about is going to be a major benefit. You know your stuff, and that's so cool. I just honor that completely. Thank you. And I get, I mean, it's funny. I actually, I get asked all the time, like, what's your favorite game ever? Like, what's the most, like, I've won championships, I've won games, I've done different things. Still to this day, the the most memorable game, and I think it will forever be that, was the, the autism game last year. And... Mm. We've just been diagnosed and, and the kind of going back to what we were talking about earlier, like how how my teammates kind of rallied around me and had my back and we, we did those shoes and they like like I was a mess before the game. I remember telling guys on the team, like, I'm gonna be absolutely no good. Like just you basically when I'm on the court, you're playing four on five. Like I was <laughs> in such a such a bad headspace because there there was so much that was brought on and we were so lucky to have so many cool families there with with their children who are going through the same thing that we'd just gone through and um obviously to, to win the game and then um kind of play reasonably well myself but just to to look up and see the other kids there to talk to the families before the game um gail donated over a million dollars after it which were half time um wow. with, with renee which was um, obviously unbelievably generous. That's the, the family orientation of the, the, the people just kind of don't probably don't get not living um, kind of as invested in it as what, what we are here and, and seeing the Millers and stuff like that. And, um, I mean, yeah, it would just be, you know, forever be my favorite game. Like regard, even if we lost, it would have been because of the, the people we brought together. Like I said, to like, I, I remember, we were walk the kids were walking out for the anthem buddies and and we'd picked a, a bunch of different autistic families to come out with us and 
um, we were shooting before the game and they stand on the sideline and kind of wait. And um, I mean, it's, you got like 10 autistic kids. You're like, you think they're going to listen to one person? Like, they ain't going to listen to them. One of the kids, one of the kids grabbed the ball out of my hand and ran out on the court and shot it. And I was like, and I went to, to go and help him. I wasn't going to stop him doing it. Like I, you know, it was the last thing I, I thought about, but I actually went to go and like put my arms under his um elbows or whatever to help him up to shoot it and he looked up at me and i'm like this big superstar nba player and he looked at me and he said don't touch me and I was like, holy shit like that's awesome and he just he he wanted to go out there and just shoot by himself and wow. i was like oh, and awesome. to have like i think rudy or something like rebound is missed and gave it back to him like the, the players were just so aware of the night and everything so it was a yeah, it was a very special moment. Well, I hope you uh, said don't touch me to whoever you were trash talking that game. I yeah, mean, <laughs> yeah. You don't get to do. They that. don't get to so, touch me. Okay, my my last question, and thanks so much, Joe. Uh, no, no it's, This has been an honor, in, Joe. Incredible, absolutely. So, and as um, as my dad's biggest fan, so I, I've I've had the honor of filling in for him about eight times doing uh, PA for jazz games, but he's been around for forty two years now. Do players notice? PA announcers in the NBA. Um, and it's was, okay if it's no, but I, I no, it's gonna. I, I think it's a yes, like a yes and a no. Okay, like I think um, when you are at an organization for, I mean, I feel like I might be a little more aware of kind of my surroundings and and stuff than than some people. Like some people get you got you got to think too. Like some people get to the game and they are so locked into like. This is my pregame shooting. This is my routine. This is my X, Y, and Z. Like everything has to be very lined up for them to, in their minds, think they're going to kind of play well or play to the best of their abilities. But um, obviously, the more you're around an organization, and, and for me, coming up seven years now, like you, you see people, you see faces, you see people that you see obviously more often on, on a daily basis. Um, but you are constantly, like you might not know everyone like if we knew everyone's name within the organization you'd be be a superstar but <laughs> um, like you you walk past and you're like hey you doing like because you just know you know everybody and then same thing in in the, the kind of heat of a moment in the game like there's there's games that you're sitting on the bench or something and you you hear them or you hear them um with like a little famous saying or, or whatever it is um and then there's games where like i mean you, you guys have been at Vivid when it's rocking, like you can't hear anything. Right. Like you could be yelling as loud as you want down the microphone, but you <laughs> like the fans aren't, aren't going to hear it at, at some point. So um, I, I would say more yes than no, but there's definitely some players and some situations that are just um, are different. The players have different routines and are so locked in. Like, I mean, Donovan shoots with his, headphones on because he just wants to he just he doesn't want, want to be bothered yeah. Yeah. And, i mean being donovan it would be hard in general anyway but then you've got like <laughs> 200 200 kids like yelling your name while you're trying to prepare for a game and again he's always very good with them and stuff after and before but um so everyone everyone's different but yeah i, I would i would say yes more than no well, regardless of uh, whether or not you can hear me, if you hear something that sounds like your name, you know it's full of love, okay? <laughs> I appreciate it. Thank I you. absolutely I guarantee you. 
plenty more of the jingles uh, for three yes. um, before uh, I'm done. Uh, you could count on that, I guarantee you. <laughs> With a little more, even even a little touch more now. So. Yeah, precisely. Well, uh, Joe, thanks so much. This has uh, been absolutely awesome. Really appreciate it, and uh, hope uh, hope we can continue the conversation down the road again sometime. For sure. No, it's been a it's been a pleasure to to kind of get to know you guys on here more, and um, obviously I'll I'll definitely see you around as well as long as we get back to as normal schedule as possible. Someday, but, yeah. Someday, uh, yeah. No, thanks for having me. I, I really appreciate it. It's an honor, it. Joe. Um, an absolute honor. Thanks for thanks for letting me talk your ears off. I uh, loved it. Oh, geez, loved every second of every it. Every minute, you yeah. bet. Every second of it. And uh, say uh, hi to Emma for me next time you see yeah. her. <laughs> I will. Okay. I'm probably going. I'm at. I'm at leave the facility now. So I'll, uh, okay. Going on the way home. Yeah, I'll go on the way home. Say hi. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, guys. Thanks, right. Joe. Take care, Joe. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.